Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. She comes from a long line of theater folk, including actor-filmmaker Todd Graff and the Tony Award-winning actress Randy Graff. Welcome, Nika Graff-Lanzaroni. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everybody. My guest today is the remarkable actress, singer, and dancer Nika graff Lanzaroni. On Broadway, she starred in Chicago and Women on the Verge. Off-Broadway credits include Sweet Charity, Hello Again, Susical, and Zorba. She has performed in musicals at the best regional theaters in the country, including, but not limited to, the Long Wharf Theater, the Goodman, the Huntington, Paper Mill Playhouse, and the Bay Street Theater. Some of her television credits include roles in Unforgettable, Smash, and Live from Lincoln Center, among others. She co-hosts the Ensemblist podcast with fellow actor and friend Mo Brady. She is third-generation theater folk. She is a graduate of the Boston Conservatory, and her special skills include stilt walking and pole dancing, which is why I have asked Nika to be a guest on my podcast today. Oh, my God. Welcome. So never have I been sadder that this is an audio experience and not a more visual experience because the fact that you brought your stilts and pole into the podcast booth today is amazing. You know, and we'll we'll see what we have room and time for. Okay. Because um, we can always yeah. add a video component to make my <laughs> listeners happier. You, my beautiful friend really do come from an illustrious and long-standing theatrical family. You're sort of like the Luntz of 2017. Do you feel that way every day? Every day? No. Most of the time, I feel like any other human being who is trying to make a life in the arts. And then once in a while, I will run into somebody who knows someone in my family or has stories about someone in my family and then I get excited all over again. Or I had an audition and ran into my cousin Randy in the hallway because she was teaching down the hall and that was when I made her sit with me until I had to go in. So that kind of thing is really, really lovely. I know. I bet you were like, I wonder, Randy, can you come in with me? 
just come in. Just, just like come vouch. In. Can you just like vouch for me? We are related. <laughs> We're related. She she can totally tell you that like I will be good in the play. Like just trust her if you don't trust don't me that I will be good in the play. Like it's totally fine. She has a Tony. I don't. I understand. <laughs> well, she has a Tony and you don't have your Tony yet. But other than that, that's really mean, the like, only difference. Her opinion will like hold more weight if she comes in with me and says, like, trust me, Nika will be good in the play. Do the Tonys, I feel like they spin. They spin. Mm-hmm. So you could sort of hold it in front get of the your lights face in your and, get the lights in their eyes. No, <laughs> like, they're so blinded. We're and, blinded by the light of her genius, I'm so I think excited, is what it would be. Like, Can you say your name out loud? Hi, I'm Nika Graf Lanzaroni. Thank you. I want to start a new thing where I have everyone start with a slate. That's really funny. It really puts everyone at ease. Because <laughs> it's the most natural thing to do. It's sure. just stop what you're doing, say your name, and then like, have to jump back into something right. where you do have to cry. Or and then burn, add your go, height. Mm-hmm. And do you Five have a eight. passport? <laughs> Five foot eight, valid driver's license. Dominic and I always laugh that the minute your audition ends and they ask you if your passport is in good standing, there is no way you've gotten that Not job. At <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> They're so desperate because for anything to say to you. Do you have a passport? Mm. I do. Yeah. Do you? And it's always for like, I think the last time I got asked that was for some sort of car commercial where like it was an NDA car commercial where like I wasn't even allowed to know what it was, but it was called, like it had some name like Green Lamp. The Green Lamp car. You know, the Green Lamp car. And yeah. Oh, and they're just like yelling things at you and you're trying to take direction and look at these people who are supposed to be your best friends that you've never seen before in your life. And like, oh, commercial auditions. We the call last, them errands in they my house. Are, that's a great way to look at it. I'm going on an errand. I'm going on an errand because that's about as deep as it should ever be with the commercial audition. The last commercial audition I had was basically how to get comfortable on an airplane seat. Which is, if you ever try to, you're not in first class. Like the whole like, idea was like, but I'm not. You can't. Right. Thank you so much. That was the last errand I ran. <laughs> you feel like a prodigy to me. So oh, talk God. to me a little bit about growing up in California. Your parents met in the original Broadway production of Grease. Am they I getting sure that did. right? Yeah. Can you take yeah. us through a little bit of like the beginning of when you found your voice as a creative person? I grew up in Los Angeles. My whole entire family is from New York, just not me. Why did your parents go out there? They were starting to get more work out there. My father was starting to get a lot a lot of um, work composing for TV shows, so a lot of background music on a lot of different TV shows. And everything was sort of pulling them west. So they went out west in the late 70s with this whole like i don't know maybe we'll try out la and they've been there the whole time and it's kind of funny because many new york transplants always feel like they're working their way back to new york in some way and my parents have always felt like new yorkers even though they've now lived in los angeles for almost longer than they ever it's like those people who never lose their accent. Mm-hmm. Like, when did you guys come here? They're like, like 50 years 42 ago. 42 yeah. years ago. So they remain like New Yorkers. Point of pride. They're right to be proud. Yeah, I think so. But then you had the reverse. Like your whole life was working toward, toward and coming doing it. east. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Um, and I always considered myself a temporarily inconvenienced New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> a little like chomping on your cigar. A little bit. A Third little bit. grade. When a am I getting bit, back like, to the Bronx? Kinda. Kinda. Um, It just never occurred to me that living somewhere else or doing something else with my life was going to be a viable 
a viable option. So your mom was on Mr. Belvedere. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that was a huge thing. Like, she worked so much. And she came from the musical theater. But to be a regular on a series for a number of years must have been thrilling for her. Yeah, I think so. It's also that kind of, like, multicam studio audience sitcom is one of the best sort of easiest jobs to have if you have a family as well, because it's really sort of a nine to five. And then your only real late day is whatever your tape day is. So... You know, she dropped me off and picked me up from school every day. And, like, both of my parents were very much around when I was a kid because no one was on a single camera show for— Which was a a 20-hour-a-day sort of job. Like, no one one did that. Was your dad, when he would compose, was his studio in your house? My parents' house had a little guest house that converted—that he converted into a studio before I was born, so— So, like, the mad musician would be in the back— yeah, he was like in like, the backyard in his little house composing so, away. Did your dad sing too or just create the music? He doesn't. He doesn't. He's a bit of a genius in a lot of ways. He's a composer and an arranger and a conductor and a crazy incredible pianist, but um he does not enjoy the spotlight really, so anything where like he has to sing or speak, he's not into it. So your mom would be the front person mm-hmm. in that and way. And she's so good at that stuff. She can talk to anybody. We used to do a lot of telethons when I was a kid, and they would throw, you know, all of those things are so to the minute. And whoever was producing that segment would run over to my mom and say, can you talk to this person right now for 15 minutes on camera while we're doing this sort of pledge drive thing? And she's like, yeah, sure. And my father and I would back up and, like, try to blend into the walls as much as possible. Like, please, nobody ask us to talk to anybody on camera. That's so funny. So when did you start singing? I don't remember not singing. When I was little, my parents, there was a a local theater that my dad used to write the music for, like, their children's musicals for. So I was always laying down demos for the children's musicals or singing backup on something. Or, you know, I come from, my grandfather was a studio singer and pretty much any song you hear on the oldie station now, like, he's singing. He sang backup for everybody. Is this on the Graf side or the Lanzaroni side? On the Graf side. Okay. On the Lanzaroni side, it's their real Brooklyn Sicilian. My grandfather was uh, calling him a carpenter is not quite enough, but he could fix anything. And my dad was really the only, like, creative one on on his side. Were they supportive of your dad? I think they were because it kept him off the streets. You know, if you ask him about it, he'll he'll say that, too, that— keeping him inside and keeping him focused on something and he loves you know he loves it so much and he loved to practice and he's always um he's a really hard diligent worker and he says it kept him busy it kept him making money from a young age and you know it kept him out of gangs and off the streets were there a lot of actors in your house when you were growing up? Always, because we were always also doing a benefit or putting on some sort of show or whatever it was in my house. It's a good spot to rehearse. There's room and there's places to wait and there's, you know, it's a good house for that. So did you enjoy the theatrical homestead? I think so. Because some people really shy away from the family business and some people embrace it wholeheartedly. And I wondered for you if there was ever a moment where you thought, you know what, this is too much. Everyone does it. I need to carve my own path or I'm going to carve my own path within this really beautiful art form. 
I think it was more about carving my own path within because no one else is a dancer. And so it was the way that I could do something different from them. Did you start dancing really young? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how old were you? Two and a half-ish, like baby, you know, baby ballet. And then um, got sort of more serious about it, like eight or nine, but never really stopped dancing. I had a lot of different interests and didn't necessarily want to give all of them up in order to just focus on ballet. Musical theater was always super important to me, and the idea of not doing it in some way was sort of not an option. So when did you start doing musical theater? I mean, never professionally until I was out of, until I was in college. So you weren't a child actor. You weren't going on auditions. I desperately wanted to be a child actor. My parents would not let me be a child actor. Why? Um, I think mostly because they also didn't want to drive around. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's a different, it's just a different kind of life. And my mom had three kids on her TV show and saw, you know, saw what they went through, and they all have totally normal families and are very well-adjusted, super awesome people now, but had seen hosts of kids playing friends and doing, you know, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be a child actor, and I was not allowed. Were you jealous or envious of so the kids on that bitter show? bitter all the time. Yeah. Like- so bitter. And then we would come to New York a lot. We came to New York a lot to visit family and to see shows. And anytime there was a kid in a show, I would be like, oh, whatever, I could totally do that. When you are an artist yourself and kind of know what it is, you're probably more, I don't know, more likely to put the kibosh on it mm-hmm. than someone who's like, oh, that seems fun. Yeah. You want to do that? That seems great. Or the other way around, if it's a parent who's like, relying on their child to be the sole breadwinner for their family, then that's Wait a, whole a minute. Different... Could we do that? I mean, like a... wait a minute. I Ew. just want to understand how it went from parents wouldn't let me do it as a kid, hated L.A. growing up, mm-hmm. was not, not a fan. at home, not, not a, a fan. fan, didn't have your people. Didn't have my people. There wasn't, there wasn't a Broadway. And I was, I was just distraught by that. Fair enough. And my parents will corroborate my distraught attitude towards not their their not being a Broadway in Los Angeles. Yeah, and we blame them. Yep, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. They could have brought it with them. Um. (laughs) It's always the parents' fault. (laughs) So I wanted to talk a little bit about it, if you're willing to talk a little bit about it, because so many of the people that come on the show, not to a person, but many of them felt slightly like outsiders growing up, and the performing arts and the theater saved them, literally. So I wanted to ask you if that's something that you connect to as a thought. So deeply. I didn't really have the best uh, social time as a kid, and it wasn't until I got to be in a performing arts program at a public high school in Los Angeles that I felt like I really had a place Mm -hmm. to be because I was always working towards this moving to New York and becoming a Broadway dancer goal. And that, you know, it's a very tangible goal and not necessarily something that like a lot of kids don't necessarily always have their sets, their sights set on something that specific. And when you are already a little weird. Why, um, Why do you think you were weird? 
I was a little funny looking and I read a lot and I played the like I just I sort of ticked all the nerd boxes and there's always got to be one kid that everybody makes fun of and I was the kid. My elementary school was really tiny and so it was like the same group of 12 people. So you were labeled and you couldn't break out of it. Not at all. Um, and, you know, I'd say it with all honesty that like if I'm I am part of the last generation that remembers life before the Internet. So like I and the Internet, you know, my generation grew up together. We grew up together I and the Internet. Yes. Um, and that if the Internet had been around in the way that it is now when I was a kid, I don't think I would have made it out. I don't think I would have been able to survive. What do you mean? Because the bullying, bullying is so um, pervasive. And when you can leave school and go home, then you have a little bit of an escape. And if you can't escape because, because that sort of social weirdness is always going on and always available and right here and right everywhere, then it's hard to be able to take a break from it. You know, and kids are mean and terrible, because it's everybody's testing boundaries and everybody's learning how to be a member of society and you have to go too far before you can come back. And, like, the intellectual part of me absolutely understands that, like, this is part of development and this right, is Right, but when you're little, that's no, not when your you're job. Little, it's not, yeah, no. You just know that everybody's mean to you and you don't know why. Ugh. Well, I do feel like part of my goal in doing this is to share people's stories, not just of great triumphs on Broadway stages or television screens, but sort of how people got themselves out of situations that didn't feel good and took care of themselves. Because everybody, everybody's people. So did you come to New York right after school? Yeah. The job that sort of put you on the Broadway map, as it were, was Women on the Verge, mm-hmm. which is just Pedro Almodovar is just a genius filmmaker, and what a great idea to yep. turn it into a Broadway musical. Yep. Patti Lapone, Heard of her. Sherry Renee Scott. <laughs> yep. Lar- you. Laura Lar- Benanti. Danny what? Burstein. Brian Stokes Mitchell. Justin Guarini. Like, yes. just over... T- I was the right. only person on that stage I never heard of. That's right. So <laughs> let's just talk about, like, the unbelievable... Uh, exciting headiness of that experience and who who did did you have to audition a lot to get that part no okay so tell us the story i was in las vegas doing peep show like you do like you do which is why i can pole dance i love Um, him and full out right now you got jerry mitchell always yeah and it's like the same it was the same set as broadway bears too it was like three Um, runways and a thing and a thing like it's 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 the same it's really fun when i auditioned for charlie brown and heard that jerry mitchell was the choreographer i was like i don't even care if i just want him to see me and at some point i want to be naked with a bear that's what i want and did you get that i got charlie brown instead well that works too (laughs) I feel like that's probably that's a decent compromise. It's fine. Um, he was like, "This is what I can do for you." <laughs> like, do you know? Can do you want to sing and tell jokes? That you can do. You oh, do God. not feel flexible enough to be in my peep show. Oh, the last time I did Broadway Bears, they truly handed me a microphone, and I was like, "Wait, no, I'm old. I'm. Uh, do I Dancer. have to sing and tell jokes now? Dancer. Are you Dancer. kidding? No, nope. so funny. Thank you. Um, next, yeah. So I was in Vegas, and I was doing peep show, and we were on a layoff, and. We were they were renegotiating all the contracts and the offer came back from Peep Show and it was not something that I was willing to be away from home to do. And this I, was like the cast of Friends. You were like, no. No. I'm not doing this. Not no. Rachel and Ross and me are not doing this. Not for doing this money. This. No. 
So I turned that offer down and came home, and it was January, and I was leaving Vegas where it was warm and close to my family, and I came home to New York, and one of the very first auditions I got was for the last workshop. They had done three readings of the show, and this was for the last of those three readings. And I had had an audition for it prior that I could not go to, and so it came back around, and I was really happy about that. And that was it. I had one audition and one callback, did that last workshop, and then got offered from the workshop. They didn't make you re-audition. No. So that show, which had the starry cast and an amazing movie that it was based on and all of this kind of attention and excitement, and I can remember the billboard, (laughs) didn't last as long as it should. No. And so what was that like for you? Here's the dream, and it's happening, and then it's kind of a disappointing... Totally. That's when, you know, it's a great big wake-up call that... Tangible goals are lovely, but can't be the only goals. Meaning, how do you translate that into your daily hmm, life? Right. So, like, it's sort of, I'm trying to be optimistic, but it's really sort of the that and a dollar of life. Because that was supposed to be the thing, and it just wasn't. And it's totally heartbreaking, and yeah. It's an interesting thing because you work in this bubble with these people and then and then the public comes and they sort of pop the bubble in a way that you weren't necessarily expecting. And there's nothing you can do about it. You did your job and you can take what you can take from those experiences and hopefully apply them to future experiences and hopefully don't have to apply all of the things to future experiences. But this also became a remarkable, like, first Broadway family. Totally. I know you're so good friends with Laura. I mean, you sort of carried on. Yeah. Sometimes when you go into the trenches like that with people, your war buddies remain very close. So deep. In that way. Because no one else can know what you guys are going through. Except and what you built. And what, yeah. And then the three little pigs come. It's like the wolf. It's like, what? You're blowing like, it down? no. We use bricks? We what? did. <laughs> They're right there. Right there. Look at we our did. set. We used things. But and then you stuff. got to do Velma's role mm-hmm. in Chicago. Yeah, no. That was one, one big audition, one callback. That was like a work session. And that was it. Like, the biggest things have been—the biggest things I've ever gotten have usually been, like, one audition, one callback, and that's it. And then the things that I don't get are, like, 95 callbacks, and I'm calling the union going, can they do this? And I'm doing all of, like—and it's, you know, heart-wrenching and emotionally wreckage, and and that never happens. Right. The other things are, like, do you want to come do this? I think part of it is— the most talented, successful people are very clear about what they're looking for and can communicate it and get what they want. Mm-hmm. So when you're Bartlett and you see Nika and it doesn't matter to you that she doesn't have 42 Broadway credits already, look at this performer, look at this part. And that's such an amazing thing when people have the confidence to mm-hmm. say, I don't care. I yeah. like her. Yeah. I, don't, I like her. I, I trust that she doesn't need to run through... Like, we'll put her through the paces and she'll rise to it as opposed to finding ways of making people fail. 
But the thing that you get to do that not a lot of people do is create things for yourself when you're not being hired by outside <laughs> producers, which brings me to Hero Worship, which was your most recent one-woman show, which was incredibly well-received and people loved, um, which must have been very scary to kind of just be out there on your oh own. God, it's awful. Without your mom and dad <laughs> and the Graf family singers. Yeah, it's... it's um. So many of us got into performing because we didn't want to be ourselves all the time. And usually getting on stage at night is a nice break from being you. Like you have a clear, you got something to do and you've got a clear goal in mind and you're playing this character and you're going on this journey and it's really delightful. Um, And this is cracking open parts of yourself that you don't necessarily want to sing about all the time or that you do. But I don't know. I always find being myself on stage is so uncomfortable. <laughs> and like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Was that a mix of songs that you wrote with songs that you already knew? No, it was all, I, I'm not a songwriter, so it was all, um, it was all pre-existing Okay, so stuff. other than, can you just sing the very beginning of the song you wrote about your name? We took Liza with a Z. Right. And we, and Kevin Yeager of the Broad Wasted podcast and Robbie. Um, and Reimagined I it for reimagined you. Reimagined it because I have a really complicated name, and I understand that, and um, it drives me a little crazy. So, But then at the end of the day, is it that complicated? I don't think so, but it's— It's that um, it's me—the word me appears twice? It's—yeah, and we as Americans are trained to look at vowels. The way we look at and pronounce vowels is different than Europeans. So most people look at my name and either call me Nikki or Nika— as opposed to Nika, because it's not, that's not how American vowels work. Did any agent or did anyone, as you were coming through, suggest you just be Nika Graf? On and off, but it would have broken my father's heart, so I didn't do it. And then I married a man named Smith, so I, and, and I love him very much, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through all of that. Nika. <laughs> Change my name to Smith. See, I would have married him just because that is his name. <laughs> Alana Smith, like I can play anything now. Exactly. I have no history. I'm I'm just a blank human canvas. How did you meet him? We met in the city through a mutual friend who I grew up with, and they went to undergrad together. And he's a vet, he right? He is. He takes care of animals. He's like so nice. Oh, so you get to have this whole other life that's not connected to showbiz. Is that hard, or is it the best? combination of worlds. I think it's kind of the best. The Because the parallels between show business and veterinary medicine are far more than you would think, the most important being you have to be in the building to do your job. So many of his family members, they're all so smart, you can't quite believe it, but many of them have jobs where you can work from home or that it's you have standard days off and neither of us do. So you're always on call. We're always on call and you know once in a while he'll do a house call, but usually he has to go to work to do his work and so do I because right. if I I'm legally required to be in a building at a time to do my job and so is he. And you have to work when other people are available to see you and your days off are not standard and Working through holidays is common. And like all of these very fundamental things help to create a level of understanding that um, that I, I almost didn't totally expect until we had both been sort of in it 
together for a while. So because he is still a doctor, even though he mostly tends to animals, Mm -hmm. do people constantly call him for questions about their human ailments? Do they feel like, no, he's not bothered? He is so grossed out by human stuff. Like the same thing could be going on with a human and an animal, and he'd be like, I don't want to look at a human. I don't want to look at a human. So if you were projectile vomiting, he'd be like, no. He'd be like, here's some saltines. I got to go. Before we go, is there one audition that you can think of, a story that now is hilarious, but perhaps at the time felt less funny or inspiring? Either one. Oh, man, I got so many. I know. Can you Um, choose one? I sure can. It was for a a recent Broadway revival, which is still currently on Broadway, so I don't know if I should call it out. There was a random— What happens in the show? Oh, (laughs) <laughs> Anything I say would give it away. Okay. There are people so, in it. There are people. There are people in it. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay. Once again, I wish this was video, not mm-hmm. audio. Mm-hmm. Keep going. So there was a weird chunk of time between two different sets of dance calls. And it's a particularly dance-heavy show. And for some reason, I had not been called into dance at all. And this appointment comes in. Uh, with a whole stack of music, and I was like, "Do they, do they need to? Should I be dancing?" My agents were like, "I have no idea what this is. Just, just learn it and go." And meaning, am I singing this? Am I dancing it? What do you meaning? Most of the people who were going in in this particular chunk of audition times had already danced. Okay, and I had not, and I did not think that that was a correct thing. But also, what do I know? So. It's a stack of music with no instructions. Some of it is part singing as well. So it's like, am I going in singing like a weird alto line alone? Like, I don't know what's happening. So I learn the entire packet and I go in and, you know, it's that like Last Supper table of creatives. And I sort of look at them and they sort of look at me and they're like, okay. And I was like, Okay. Okay, but like, okay, what? Because I got this and I got this and I got this. And so it was like nine pages or something total. I ended up singing 16, basically 16 bars of one of the several songs. And then they made me do it again with like a little adjustment. And then that was kind of it. And as I was walking out the door, the door, (laughs) they didn't even let the door close fully before I heard, meh. Coming from behind the table. (laughs) And it was the funniest because the entire experience had been so bizarre that it was like, oh, well, of course, that entire table is not going to wait until I close the door before they all go. "Eh." You know, in other languages and cultures, that means she's amazing. We don't need to see anymore. But in America, that means I no. (laughs) That means, like, why did we just waste the last four minutes of our time with so this So what woman? happens to you when you hear that? Oh, my God. I laughed so hard because I— <laughs> You were like, that's exactly how I feel. I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And needless to say, I did not continue on in that process. But, oh, my God, like, I will just never forget hearing that. Because I was like, first of all, just, like, wait till the door is closed. Like, I don't oh, care yeah. what you say about me. Sure. Like, you're, everyone's going to have their opinions on on each other. Um, but just, like, wait for the door to close all the way before going, meh. Not classy. It's fine. Not classy, not people. Meh. <laughs> Nika, <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You are 
a treasure. No, oh, shucks. No, you. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.